the Parsis of India, Pandemic, female freedom fighters you've never heard of. Who are the Sindhis of India? The exciting world of neuro-linguistic programming. Hi, welcome to WAC, a podcast hosted by me, Freesia. And on this podcast, no topic is off bounds. In each episode, we will unpack a different subject, from history to sex education, politics to how-to tips. Come join the tribe. As far as the Parsi community is concerned, you can divide Indians into roughly three categories. One, majority of rural Indians who don't really know who we are and have not really heard about us before. Number two, are the people who know about Parsis through Bollywood where a comedian is doing, you know, that typical Arya Dekra caricature. And number three, are the people who think of Parsis as jovial, food, wine and music loving, sometimes crazy, often honest, lovable babas who try to live their lives practicing good thoughts, good words and good deeds. Now that is until you sit down to have a drink with one of them. And the number of times that you will hear MCBC in one minute will make anyone blush. In fact, while I was growing up for a very long time, I just thought that my name was Gandu. This is a very surface level understanding of the community. But don't worry, WAC has got your back. So today I'm going to tell you some seriously funky things about Parsis, like our connection with baby Jesus our hand in the first riots ever in Bombay, and a bunch of other stuff. Like stop telling us to give you dhansak. That is the food that we cook when we are in mourning. There's other many yummier dishes that we can make for you. There are four or five Parsi families that almost every Indian would have heard of who have played a major part in India's economic journey. The Tatas, Vadyas, Godrages, Poonawalas and the super rich but very low profile Shapurji Palunji Mystery family. These along with few other families' charitable trusts are responsible for so many hospitals, educational institutes, orphanages around India. Any guided tour around South Bombay will tell you that most of old Bombay's buildings were built on donations from this community. Whether it's Jahangir Art Gallery, Horniman Circle, Churchgate Station or Crawford Market. In fact, Crawford Market was built by Kawasji Jahangir Ready Money. He was so charitable that people started calling him Ready Money and the name stuck to the family and they use it as their surname even today. But all this charity and financial well-being had their roots in a rather dark history. People believe that the British liked dealing with the Parsis because they could speak English, but that is not entirely true. I'm going to take you backwards in time and this will be a fun ride, so buckle up. Like how the Tibetans had to leave Tibet and settle in Dharamshala, when the Parsis came to India, they were refugees running away from the violence of Muslim invaders in Persia, modern Iran. The word Parsi comes from the language that was spoken in Persia, which is Farsi, which is still the language of Iran. When they first hit the shores of Gujarat, there is a famous legend of King Jadavrana asking them why he should let them live on this land. The story goes that the head priest asked for a glass of milk and some sugar. He put the sugar in the milk and said that like the sugar had sweetened the milk without displacing it, the Parsis too would help their new motherland without causing trouble. This promise has been kept till this day and whether it's Sam Manikshaw, our first field marshal, or J.R.D. Tata, or the average teenager in a Parsi family, there is only love and gratitude towards India. 
By the time the British took over, our fortunes had not changed a lot. We were refugees that were starting from scratch. The Iranis or Parsis were in fact known for their hot-headedness and violence, which came from being defensive after everything that they had been through. So much so that they were behind the first riot that took place in Bombay, which was called as the Dog Riot. According to Parsi scripture, when a person dies and the soul leaves the body, it travels to some kind of waiting area where a dog comes and meets it. The dog then leads the way for the soul to follow towards heaven's gates. Because of this mythology, to call the community dog lovers is an understatement. Even today, one of the rituals in a Parsi funeral, which takes place at the Tower of Silence, is that a dog is brought to smell the body so that it can even confirm that the person is dead. And so here's the history that your textbooks won't teach you. In 1832, the magistrate of police, some British Gora, decided that he wanted to kill all the stray dogs in Bombay. The community took to the streets with swords in their hands, challenging anyone to hurt a dog in show. They were challenged and violence broke out. This is known as the Dog Riots and it is officially the first riot in Bombay. The second riot to break out in Bombay also involved the Parsis, but this time it was against the Muslims. Both communities were trying to carve out a space for themselves and things took a turn for the worse when religious sentiments were hurt on both sides. Apparently, the Parsis were a few centuries ahead of Charlie Hebdo and drew an image showing Prophet Muhammad in a bad light. The Muslims retaliated by attacking Parsi places of worship while they were being used by families. As hard as it is to believe today, the Parsis retaliated with brutal violence, which forced the British then to ultimately step in and broker peace. It was around this time that the British then wanted to do business with the Chinese for the top two commodities of the time, opium and silk. They wanted tough men who would easily deal with the likes of pirates and drug dealers. And this is how the Parsis first found favour with the Goras. A few generations later, these risks kind of paid off. They were now rich enough to buy their own ships. They could even send their children to English schools. A knowledge of English language and etiquette? Now that was a very rare commodity at that time and it sealed the fate of the Parsis as the prosperous, gentrified lot in India. The Parsis' connection with China is visible today in the saris that the women wear. Called as garas and woven in silk, the finest garas in the world were hand-embroidered hundreds of years ago by Chinese artisans. The work on these is so exquisite that originals today can easily sell for a couple of lakhs. And every Parsi household today has one, if not more. A fun side note, the creme de la creme of garas will even have the Chinese weaver's signature woven into the corner of the sari. As if being opium traders and violent rioters was not enough controversial history, here's another fun fact. The first, and as far as my research shows, only Indian serial killer in England was a Parsi. His name was Bucks Ruxton, and even today, Madame Tussauds has a statue of him. With this ends our history lesson on Parsis in India. And so now let me take you through the history of Parsis in Persia and their influence at a global scale. Roughly 3,500 years ago, the Persian Empire was one of the biggest globally. Now, if you have seen that movie 300, then the Emperor Xerxes is a part of that same dynasty. 
At that same time, they prayed to God similar to the Vedic culture of India. The sun, the wind, rivers and trees were worshipped through different names. Until a young priest called Zarathustra or Zoroastra came up with a new concept of dualism. What he said is that there was a positive force that was responsible for creation and a negative force that was responsible for destruction. The emperors liked what they saw in him and Cyrus the Great became a follower. Because the royal household were fans, the rich and the powerful courtesans, well, they followed soon. Zoroastrianism became fashionable and spread across the empire without needing priests and missionaries converting poor, uneducated people. Like, when was the last time that you heard of someone being converted into a Zoroastrian? If someone were to choose to read the text and practice the religion, no one will stop them. But they have to do it on their own will and will not ever be forced by a parson. Zoroastrian fire temples are mushrooming around the planet in unexpected places like even Brazil and Russia. And this is being done by people who have embraced the religion on their own accord. Despite being Zoroastrians, they will not be Parsis, as that title is reserved only for the original Iranians and their successors. Till today, Parsis have held on to this, and that is why their numbers are small. All three Abrahamic faiths, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, have their roots in Zoroastra's ideas. He was the first one to come up with the monotheistic God and the anti-God. Much like God and Satan, or Allah and Shaitan, he also came up with the concept of heaven and hell and a day of judgment. Zoroastra asked his priests to use and work with the four elements in their prayers to the one supreme God. His priests were called as Magi, and guess what? It's from this Greek word denoting them that words like magic and magician come. We have all heard the biblical story about three wise men visiting Mary Joseph and baby Jesus in the manger. They were Magi, Zoroastrian priests. Anyone who is interested in modern day ceremonial magic, whether it's Alistair Crowley's Thelema or the Golden Dawn School of Thought, have to learn the basic tenets of Zoroastrianism. People who have witnessed Hindu prayer ceremonies will spot a similarity between that and the way that Zoroastrians pray. Water, fire, flowers and thread are common to both rituals. The way a Brahmin puts a thread around his chest is somewhat similar to the way that a Parsi ties a thread around his stomach. The intrinsic reasons are the same. I bet you did not know that Parsi prayers have words like Lakshmi and Vidya inside them and they denote well-being and wisdom, just like Vedic prayers. In fact, our temples are called fire temples not because we worship fire, but because we use fire as an expression to symbolize divine energy, just exactly like an Agni Puja. Considering our connection to India, our numbers in the country are going down. On the flip side, the community is seeing an increase in countries like Canada, America, Australia and Singapore. Today, the only city with a sizable population is Bombay. And even today, the biggest landowners in Bombay are the Parsis. Godrej and Boyce, A.H. Wadia Trust, Dinshaw Trust, and that's just to name a few. So the next time someone mentions Parsis to you, I hope you have more information on us than before. We're not a loud community. 
Our celebrations and our religious festivals are designed to not disturb anyone else. You will not see us showing off expensive brand names and gold and diamonds, but you will see us making Bombay and India a safer and better place to live in. Our hearts are big and our food is delicious. So if you do know any bavas, feel free to ask them to call you for dinner. And just like the Patiala peg, we have the Parsi peg, which is three fingers of a big whiskey glass. So there's that too. My name is Prishya. This is Wack. I'll catch you again very very soon. Ciao. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wack. To make sure that you don't miss out on a new episode, subscribe to and follow the show on this app right now.